0: Okay, good evening, everybody. Very special welcome back to Jeff. Great to see you again. Okay. Topic this evening is dignity and devotion. Dignity sounds like an old fashioned word. Nowadays, it's not about dignity or respect. Anything that's viewed as overly proper or rigid is looked down upon, it's about being comfortable. About being who we are, relaxing, chilling. But there's something very beautiful about the mida, about the quality of living with dignity. And when we do so, although it might not be the uh, the norm in the world, but if we hold ourselves to a higher standard, and we interact with others, and we converse, and we relate to people around us in the world with a sense of chashivus, with a feeling of I'm dignified not because I'm arrogant, I'm no more dignified than you are, but with a sense of, of pride, a feeling of, of this unique role that I have, I'm a human being, I'm a bentoro, I'm an Ever Hashem. If we really feel, we really believe that there's something beyond words that's, that's uniquely special about the relationship that we have with the Kadosh Baruch Hu, then by definition it has to express itself in how we behave. If the feeling is there, we will act differently. And like everything in life, when we act differently, that will bring out the feeling in a more powerful way. We have the, all the mitzvos of Karben Pesach the mitzvah of eating the carbon Pesach, the night of the Seder, and we have many restrictions, how to eat it, when to eat it. One of the, uh, the famous mitzvahs the Torah tells us is that you should not break a bone in the carbon Pesach. So as you're enjoying the meal together with the family, sitting around the table, recalling all the miracles of Mitzrayim, As you're consuming the carbon Pesach, do not break one of the bones. The rationale behind this, the Sefer Echinoch tells us, is that It is inappropriate for people of royalty, for people of stature, to drag the bones and, and break them like a dog would do. We're not kolovim, we're not dogs, we're human beings. And we're not embarrassed to be human beings. We're proud of that. There's no equating here. We're in a different madrega, we're in a different dimension. And therefore, the mitzvah is we have to act accordingly. Al-Kain, but sagulos kola Pesach is the celebration where we officially uh, took that responsibility. Of being that special nation with that privilege and mission of trying to spread the light of Torah to the rest of the world, Mamlechis Kohanim Vagai Kadosh. At this point in time, we became that, that kingdom of priests and that holy nation. And therefore, explains the Sefer Chinnach, every night on Pesach, commemorating that experience, it's appropriate that we behave in a way that would be fitting for royalty. So don't break the bones of the Korban Pesach. Now it's very interesting. Shmuel Rezovsky points this out. Shmuel Rezovsky was one of the great Rosh Yeshiva and Panovich. His uh, shiurim, his svarim are used throughout the entire world of Torah. He points out that if according to the Sefer Khenuch, the reason why we can't break the bones of the carbon Pesach is because this was the beginning of our, our nationhood. Mamlach Kohanim Vigoi Kadosh. So that means not only is there an Indian, not only is there a concept to act and behave like royalty on the night of Pesach, but that means really Mikan Elach from now on. This is who we are. And if we are B'nai Mulachim, if we are an Am Sagula, if we're a cherished nation, if we do have a special role to play, so then everything we do and everything we say needs to be in a higher madrega. It needs to be on a different level. Now, there's no official prohibition against breaking the bones of your chicken when you happen to be eating chicken Tuesday evening. That's only true for the Karban Pesach. But explains of Shmuel Rozofsky, The philosophy applies to every day of our lives. How we act at home, how we go to sleep, how we wake up in the morning, how we travel from point A to point B. Everything we do, every action, every movement has a connotation. And if we can't live up to this standard of royalty, then what we're really doing is we're placing ourselves in the category of what the Sefer Echinich referred to as like dragging and breaking bones like kolovim, like dogs. The goal is to live like a human being, to live like a Ben Torah, to live like someone who's really infused with that excitement, with that enthusiasm of the mission of spreading the light of Torah to the world. He says, for example, we get together, and we have a meal. It could be a Shabbos Suda. It could be a dinner or a lunch. The eating itself is an avoda, which means the eating is really an aspect of our service of Hashem. It's not just to fill our, uh, our void, not just to satiate the appetite, but how we eat, why we eat, what food we choose to eat. We can't get neurotic here. But explains with Shmuel Rezowski, this is all part of living with a vision, living with a sense of dignity. I'm not doing it just to fill my stomach like an animal. I'm doing it to serve Hashem. And if we have that in mind, it's a different eating. It's a different experience. So from this mitzvah, from this prohibition of not breaking the bones of the carbon Pesach, we really derive something much broader, something more pervasive, which is everything we do in life, feeling the charge of being an amsegula, of being a precious and holy nation, that means our behavior, our dibor, our speech, and all of our interactions need to be on a higher level. The results of not living with this awareness, with not having the behavior of royalty, can be disastrous. The Gemara and Kedushan tells us famously that Ha'ochel bashuk. Someone who is eating in the marketplace. They're walking around in public and they're eating. doma domelekelev. Right? You're just like a dog. The Ye and some are of the opinion that Possible that you are invalid to give testimony. So not only is it looked down upon to be walking around in public while we're eating, but there's an opinion that says, and this is quoted in the Shulchan Aruch, Halacha that if I am the kind of person who's ochel b'shuk, I have no bush, I have no sense of embarrassment to be eating in public, my testimony is invalid. Why does that follow? What is that logic? So Rashi explains, posel the kiven min this is actually in a prior step, but he says, v'cheinu ochel b'shuk, ho'el ve'ein makbid al kavodo. Because I'm not careful with my own honor, with my own dignity, I don't respect myself. And I'm not embarrassed to do something that's demeaning to myself. So then you could theoretically do anything. If I don't have self-respect, that means I don't really care that much about what I'm doing. Because who am I anyway? So what's the big deal? I'll do something that's wrong. If someone's offering me enough money, I'll testify falsely. The reason why you cannot give testimony if you have no self-respect is because if you're not machshev yourself, you don't respect yourself, then theoretically, if there's enough of an agenda involved, you'll do whatever it takes. Because who cares? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not anything important anyway. You're posel you're invalid for testimony. When the Rambam says over this halacha based on the Gemara, he elaborates, he says, People who are mavaza people who put themselves down, meaning to say they don't care about how they carry themselves, they're all invalid to give testimony. And so too those people that go around and they eat outside in front of others, in, in a public area. Or like those people who might be working hard, but they're walking around without clothing on. Meaning he's got his shirt off, he's jogging, he's doing something that requires exertion, so he'll take off his shirt. These types of scenarios, writes the Rambam, sheein al haboshes. If we find that we are not careful, I am not makpid with my own dignity, then I'm not believed for anything important, and therefore I can't testify. elu veein makpidim al They're viewed like an animal, and therefore they might give false testimony if there is enough of an incentive to do so. So the Rambam and the Gemara are definitely speaking in very harsh terms. What is the big deal if I happen to be walking around with a slice of pizza in the middle of uh, midtown Manhattan? I'm a Russia? The Gemara never said I'm a bad person. I'm not a wicked person. Now it could be nowadays it's a different culture. There are different expectations. But at least in a society where most people, most civilized people don't walk around eating. If I choose to do that, that doesn't mean I'm a bad guy. I can be a very, very sweet, loving person, but I don't respect myself. And if I don't respect myself, then I don't hold myself to a higher standard and therefore I'm willing to compromise on my values. I'm willing to do something that I know is not the right thing, But if it's worth it, if I'll get enough from it, okay. Compromising on my values when I'm nothing anyway is not a big deal. In the uh, beginning of Sefer Shoftim, this is during the, the times of Gidon, one of the great judges of the Jewish people. Right before he was leading the Jewish people against the war against Midian, it says that he had with him thousands of men. Hashem tells Gidon, you know what, you have too many people with you. When you totally destroy Midian, no one's going to recognize that this is a miracle. They're going to think you just overwhelm them with your numbers and your, your massive army and your weapons. You have too many people. So therefore, make the following announcement you should say, anyone who's afraid, anyone who's feeling fear right now, as we're about to go into this battle, this fierce milchama against Midian, go home. So what he was doing here is giving an out, an easy out, if you will. Anyone who wants an excuse, either because you really were afraid, or because you were afraid that maybe spiritually you might not have the protection based on your lifestyle, or just because you're distracted, I don't want to be here, Gidon is giving this wonderful opportunity to leave the battlefield. So how many people left? The Navi tells us. Vayoshu esri mushnaim elif. 22,000 people left. They all took the opportunity. How many were there remaining to fight against Midian? There were 10,000 people left. Still, Hashem says to Gid'on, Oda Amrav, Still too many people. You're going to destroy them. No one's going to recognize that it's the Yad Hashem, that it's Hashem's doing. We got to somehow find a way to get rid of more of those soldiers to make it more of an open miracle. So the instruction was, bring them down to the water. Take all of the uh, soldiers to the lake and uh, give them the opportunity to drink some cold, fresh water. But watch carefully how they drink. So Gideon brings all the soldiers down and he sees there are really two groups. Some of them bent down on their knees and just started drinking the water from the lake. And others took the water with their hand in a more civilized way, scooping the water up and drinking the water. Hashem tells Gidon: anyone who is bending down and licking the water directly from the lake, those people are not allowed to come with you. Send them home right away. The only people you're allowed to keep to hold on to, to fight Midian, are the people that actually scooped up the water with their hands and they were drinking it like a mensch. How many people were there altogether? 300 people. <laughs> That's it. Everyone else was puzzled. Everyone else was invalid. Either because they chose to leave previously or because they weren't drinking in a, in a civilized manner. Now, when you analyze the, the flow of this story, That means everyone who was at the water, likely they were all tzaddikim. They were all righteous people. Because anyone who knew in his heart that he wasn't living a true, authentic Torah lifestyle, he would have left the first time. And likely he did. Anyone who was afraid, either because they were a coward, or because they had chatoim, they had sins, they were no longer together with the army. So the only people that stayed back the 10,000 people, they were all pretty much in the category of tzaddikim. But even if you're a tzaddik, even if you're a righteous person, explains the Akedah, if you don't drink water like a mensch, you're lacking derech you're not refined, I still can't trust you. And therefore, I apologize, but please get off the battlefield. We could only take these 300 people. It's hard, and we're not going to get into politics or the discussions that have been going on in the world over the last few years, but what's very clear is that the the expectation of what it means to have a civilized, healthy, robust conversation or debate, that expectation has changed drastically. The idea of dressing in a particular way for a nice occasion. Or even in the olden days, In the olden days doesn't really mean that far back, but even when I was a kid, there was an idea that when you were going on an airplane, you'd have to dress up in nicer clothing, right? And that was the exact opposite. Going on an airplane anyway, put some sweatpants on. Coming to shul, putting aside any conversation of, of... what's really considered snias, how do we define modesty according to halacha, but putting all of the religious stuff aside. Just having a sense, I'm going to a base kinesis. I'm going to a a holy place to daven. So of course I have to get dressed up nicely. I can't walk into shul the same way I would walk into, you know, something I was doing for recreation on a Sunday. But we live in a time where the, the, the rigid structure of being respectful and dressing respectfully, those are, those are things of the past. That could be very dangerous, though, because if we lose that sense of erlichkeit, of that refinement, then we're losing a sense of our own chashivas. I don't appreciate who I am. I don't respect who I am. If I don't respect who I am, if I don't respect who you are, then I'm like a kelev. I'm just like an animal. And that could lead to all sorts of very negative, very destructive choices. Now, on the other hand, to view it from a positive way, if not being machshev ourselves, if not appreciating the, the godliness that I have within is one of the most dangerous things, so then logic would dictate having that hakarah, having that recognition having that sense of real appreciation that I am a human being and I am created in the image of God and I do have this infinite neshama inside of me, that can make the difference between living a mediocre life and living a life of greatness. You know, oftentimes when we speak about Yeres Hashem, having fear or reverence of God, that's a very high level and that's not always uh, easily attained. But the Rabbeinu Yonah tells us there's something much more basic. Even if I don't yet have a real, solid, powerful Yir shamayim, I'm not fearing God. That's not really keeping me away from doing something I feel is wrong. Says the Ben Yonah, but you can still fear yourself. Which means that if I hold myself in high regard, then I might be tempted to do something. I might want to say something that I know is hurtful but I'm going to hold myself back. Not necessarily because I'm such a righteous person. Not necessarily because I know God is looking and he wouldn't approve of this. But I'm looking. I'm standing right here. How could I allow myself to speak like this? This is not who I am. I'm a ben adim. I'm a mensch. I'm a dignified human being. I can't bring myself down to this level. I can't have this kind of back and forth. You have to rise above it. Not because I'm better than you, but because we're all B'nai adam. We can't be acting like this. So I may not be afraid of God thoroughly enough to stop me or to hold me back, but I could still be afraid or stand in reverence of myself. The words of the Reb'nai Yonah, he says, (laughs) Yevush me'atzmo, ve'yevush me'avosav, I should feel embarrassed. Not because I'm standing before God, but because I'm standing before myself. I should feel embarrassed to continue on this track that I know I should not be going down right now because of my, 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 my ancestors, what, what they would what want from me, what they expect from me. I should say to myself, I should encourage myself, Adam should encourage myself, somewhat of my stature, right? Here I am. I'm a human being. I'm, I'm a member of Klal Yisrael. Vashani ben Gedolim ben Malche And I have an amazing yichus. I have this, this legacy, going back to Harsinai, of the greatest human beings ever to walk this planet. And not, not focusing on the guilt aspect of it. How could I possibly do this? Because Zaidi would give his life... Right, Zaidi would have died to daven one more mincha. How could I not daven mincha with real intention? Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But going beyond the guilt, empowering ourselves with the recognition that I come from a legacy of greatness. I don't want that to stop with me. I want to be able to pass that on. How can I allow myself to do something or say something that I know is not parallel or congruent with my values? I would be sinning to God, I would be sinning to my ancestors, I would be sinning to myself. If we don't recognize who we are, we don't appreciate, we don't live with dignity, so then I don't have that to stop me from going in the wrong direction if I am living with that real understanding of who I am and what I stand for, my values, my legacy, my, my ancestors, that itself could be one of the greatest motivations to do that which I know is true. I remember hearing many times in yeshiva, my yeshiva would often say that in the earlier years of yeshiva where he was young and he was trying to keep the yeshiva going, trying to keep it alive, it was so incredibly difficult and there were financial burdens and there was a, a lack of talmidim, a lack of interest, so it seemed for many years. He said the one thing that kept him going was knowing that this was his father's vision. It wasn't even necessarily the Yir shamayim, but I know this is what my father was building and I want to continue, I want to make this dream a reality. Sometimes just having that that scope, that context of where I stand, how I got here, and who I am, it's not about what I could do, right? Oftentimes we, we try to convince ourselves that we could do so much, and that happens to be true. And there's a lot we could be doing that we're not doing based on perceived, oftentimes warped limitations of ourselves. But, but this idea of the Rebini Yonah is not just telling ourselves that I could do more, I could be more, but it's a recognition of even if I can't do something, even if I can't be that person, but it's who I am. It's not about what I can do. I'm a human being. Living with dignity is an entirely different life. Rev Huttner Rav Hutner Huttner was the reshiv of Chaim Berlin and this was one of the, the main themes that he would speak about often, the idea of, of kavod ha'adam, the respect that we give for other human beings, the respect that we give for ourselves, the reverence that we have for people who represent Torah and uh, that was very much his personality. He was on the plane, the TWA plane that was hijacked in 1970 and they say the, the story that one of the terrorists went over to Rev Huttner. I guess in those days they made terrorists different than they do nowadays. The terrorist had a, a bottle of Coke. And he knew that he was a famous, well-known rabbi. So he offered Rev Hutner a bottle of Coke. It was warm. So Rav Huttner said, Thank you, but I only drink soda with ice. That's all right. That's living with dignity. I don't drink warm soda. Sorry. There's a a story that's actually alluded to a few places in the Gemara, but the story itself we don't actually have in the Gemara. But we find in the Midrashim that there was a young man who, he was traveling, and he hears screaming from a distance. He wasn't sure where the screaming was coming from, and he sees there's a massive bear, there's a well, and he looks into it and he hears something, but it's so deep he can't see the bottom of it. He realizes that what he's hearing, these are the screams of a, of a young woman. So the way the Chazal describe his response is he jumps into action, and heroically he saves her and he brings her out of the bear, but he makes one condition. He says, you know, I saved your life. I think it's only appropriate that you should marry me. And she was okay with that. She said, fine, that'd be wonderful. The Chazal go on to relate, though, that he was so caught up in the moment that he didn't want to wait to go through the proper procedures of Eresen and and, and, and Nesuin and Chuppah so she said back to him, not wanting to compromise on her values, she said, Me Amata, one second, before we go any further, from what nation are you? Where are you coming from? So he explained with a, a tone of pride. Me Israelani I'm a Jew. I come from here. The ani." And not only am I a Yid, not only am I a Jewish, but I'm a Cohen. So she says back to him, wow, I'm also from a similar place. My mishpacha, my family goes back generations as well. So she says to him in her brilliance, one second, I'm Kodosh Kamoscha. You, you're part of this holy nation of Kalal Yisrael, and you're part of Shevet Levi, you're, you're part of the Kahuna, the elite. That Hashem chose you, Hashem sanctified you from the rest of the other nations and even from the rest of Klal Yisrael. You want to act like an animal? To marry me in an improper way without going through the process? Below Suva below Kedushin? And after he heard those words, he said, no, 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 I would never want to do that. So they made up they were going to get married a year later. The story goes on and there's a lot more. It gets more whimsical. But just analyzing this dialogue between these two strangers, a young man who lost himself and he was close to sinning, and a young lady who was able to save him and herself by saying, just focus on one thing. Not the fear of God. Not the fear of sin. But the fear of yourself. Right? Someone like you? A Yiddish and a Shama? A Kohen? You don't want to do this. And he was able to tap into that real desire. And he responded, you're right. I don't want to do this. It takes... A strength of character, it takes a sense of keeping composure. But living with dignity, we could be doing the same mitzvos. like we saw from Sefer Shoftim, we could all be righteous people, very kind people, very caring people. But the difference between living with self-respect and lacking self-respect is the difference in not just what I'm doing, but it's who I am. I'm not going to allow myself to go down that path because I'm afraid not just of a Kodesh Baruch, I'm afraid of myself. And with the right perspective, I'm motivated to come closer and push myself because I know I have tremendous potential. I want to share with you the, uh, the son of Rabbi Varam Grzynski. Rabbi Grzynski was the great Mashkiach in Slobodka. We've quoted him many times throughout his Sefer, the Torah of Ram. But in the very beginning, when his son is sharing a few insights into his father's personality and his character, he says, One thing that my father was exceptional in is the fact that During all the darkness of the Holocaust, he never lost his spirit. He was always to, able to keep his strength and, and his, his, his personality. He didn't diminish and even in the darkest times, that, that radiance on his face never left. His son writes, I remember there was a time when there was one boy who looked very, very depressed and, and hopeless. And it was a Friday afternoon right before Shabbos and my father, the Torah of Rama, said to this boy, Shabbos is coming. Shabbos Kodesh, we have to be mekabal and mitoch simcha. We have to accept it with a feeling of joy. He meant that. He felt that. His son goes on to say that there are some times in the house, living in the Kovna Ghetto, where they would go days without eating hardly anything. And then if they got lucky and somehow someone in the family brought home some food, any normal human being, if you have not eaten in a day or two, and finally you have a chance to have a few scraps of bread or some potato skins, you would just eat it. But that's not what the Taurus of Ram did. He said, okay, Baruch Hashem, we have a meal here, we have a suda, and he would take the dishes, and he, together with his wife, they would set the table, and he would sit down with the silverware, and he would make sure to eat the meal like a mensch, even though there was only this much to eat. But this is what we do. Everything in life has to be with the seder, with the Messinus, being thoughtful. We can't be rushed. I'm not going to be like a behema who just eats the food standing up. Let's sit down like a mensch because we're dignified human beings. The Taurus of Ram, his son explains, was an ish halacha. Was a man who lived and eventually died through the halacha. What does the Torah dictate of me? And it's only when you're living with a sense of real real self-respect are you able not to crumble to the the, the, the calamity or the tortures of the moment, but you're able somehow to rise above that. He was an Ish Halacha to the point where when the Germans were invading Kovna and we all had to flee together, he said there was a group of us running. My father, though, he was wearing his kapata, he was wearing the outfit that he would usually wear when he went into the yeshiva to teach Torah, the same way he would dress up when he went to Slobodka, that's how he was dressed when he was running away from the Germans leaving Kovna. So one of the family members asked him the question, it looks like you're walking into yeshiva right now. Why are we dressed so nice? And if Ram Grzynski answered back, he says, it's a halacha. The Gemara says, Even in a time of danger, I should never compromise my dignity. ha This is who I am. This is how we act. The fact that we have to be running away, that's the call of the hour. That's pikuach nefesh. We're doing a mitzvah. But, but this is who I am. <coughs> I remember hearing that uh, there was a fellow who had, I think his first child, he was close with Rishlomo Zalman Arbach, and he had his first child when he was living in Eretz Yisrael, and he was in the hospital at the same time that Rishlomo Zalman was there after, right after Rishlomo Zalman lost his wife. So Rishlomo Zalman was walking down the stairs literally an hour or two after his wife passed away, and this young man is going the opposite direction and he sees his Rebbe not knowing about his wife. And he said, Rebbe, I get a mazel tov. I just had a baby girl. And the reaction that Rosh Lomazalma was able to have wasn't, you know, oh, mazel tov. I'm so happy for you. It was Mole's simcha. There was such a sense of, of, of I'm not happy for you. I'm happy with you. There was a real simcha to the point where the, the, the young man said afterwards, I had no clue that his wife just passed away. And it just from the, from the interaction we had briefly, I would never have guessed in a million years that he's going through this level of tragedy right now. But, but that's, a, that's a giant of a human being who could somehow maintain composure. And if now someone's sharing with me something that, that's significant to them, and, and it's a simcha, then I'm happy for you. I'm able to be there with you. The curse will end with this. The curse that Yaakov, I wouldn't say curse, really it's a bracha. The bracha that Yaakov gave to Reuven was that you're Pachas Kamayim, which means you're impetuous. Right? You you you've acted in ways without fully thinking it through. Now, Pachas Kamayim literally means you're impetuous like water. What's the the understanding of this analogy? that Yaakov was telling Ruvain, you're impetuous like water. So Rabbi Yeruchim explains that when you have water, it could be in any kind of cup or a bowl. You move the bowl or a cup slightly, what happens? The water moves as well. You tilt it like this, the water spills out. Pachas Kamayim, Yaakov was telling Ruvain you can't be swayed, you can't be moved by what's going on around you. You can't be blown over by the winds. If they're political winds, if they're medical winds, if they're financial winds blowing very hard. What's the opposite of pachaz kamayim, explains Reb You have to be kaoferis, you have to be like lead. If you have lead, you could have very, very strong winds You could tilt it a little bit if it's inside of a cup or a bowl, but it's not going anywhere. It doesn't move with the surroundings. It's anchored. It's secure. Pachaz kamayim is when we don't have that dignity. That I'm willing to go in any which way, whatever feels good at the time. Does it fit with my values? Does it not fit with my values? Is this the way I should be doing it? It doesn't really matter because who am I anyways? And therefore, my political views, my Hashkafic views, my relationship, who I choose to speak about negatively, it just all keeps on going in many different directions because I don't have that anchor. The anchor of avodah Hashem, the anchor of avodah Hashem is don't break the bones of the Korban Pesach, to live with a sense of respect. Not only do I respect and love you, but I have to respect myself not about what i can do i could do a lot of mirtashim but it's who i am and living with that recognition we open up doors and we could accomplish things that we never thought were humanly possible Shkoyach.